0: Good morning. You guys doing well? (laughs) Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. I know I don't say it enough, near enough. Um, Thank you guys for uh, your regular and consistent giving here. Um, We wouldn't be able to do it without you. And also, I want to thank those of you, I guess we had about, uh, let's see, 312 families that uh, made a commitment to our Dare You to Move campaign. So thank you so much for that. That's That means a lot. That's good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, praise God for that. We just finished also one of our biggest uh, Easter weekends in the history of Desert Breeze just last weekend. It was just a really wonderful weekend, and a lot of great things happening around here. We're really excited about what God's doing. I can't believe I get to be a part of this, and it's really amazing. This is our prayer series, talking about prayer, experiencing awe and intimacy with God, no greater no greater treasure or pleasure than that, and we're going to talk about how to pray this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 11. We'll look at verses 1 through 13. Luke 11, 1 through 13. You guys know what margin is, having margin in your life? You guys know what I, what I mean by that? Margin is the space between your load and your limit. Does that make sense? So uh, do you have Margin? Do you have margin in your life? Do you have space between your load and your limit? Let me ask you this, if I were to ask you this question, my wife and I were discussing this this last week and uh, we were talking with a few other folks. And uh, do you know when you've hit your limit? What does that look like in your life when you hit your limit? I can tell you when my wife's hit her limit, but, uh, but do I know? I don't often know until she points it out to me. You've kind of hit your limit, haven't you? And uh, so turn to the folks next to you just real quick and discuss with them, what are some signs, personally, don't point them out in their life, but you personally, when you've hit your limit, what does that look like? What are some signs? Real quick, discuss it with the folks sitting around you, real quick. So you guys coming up with some good answers? I think it's really important for you to be in touch with kind of where you are and when you know you've hit that limit, when you have no more margin in your life and how to work through that. I asked my wife that and she said... She said that her attitude kind of goes, and boy does her attitude go when she's stressed out. No, she actually has a much more decent attitude than what I have. And she says her attitude goes, and then she also says muscle tension. She gets a lot of muscle tension. But this is how she responded to both of those. She said, nothing that a five guy's hamburger can't cure. And she's been eating a lot of Five Guys hamburgers lately, so I'm figuring that out. There's probably some stress going on. I'm thinking, I'm thinking more like nothing that a, a piece of coconut cream pie couldn't cure. And not just a piece. How about the whole pie? Yeah. Huh? You guys, is that what you're thinking of? So here's what's interesting about this whole idea of uh, dealing with stress is that as Americans, we, we are really good dealing with the symptoms. In fact, if you read most... Uh, Most of the magazines in the self-help industry, which is a billion-dollar industry, and even in many churches, we tend to feed each other a lot of uh, uh, how-tos on dealing with the symptoms, and very seldom do we actually get to the root, to the source of those uh, symptoms. And and so this morning, we're looking at how do you get to the source of that? Because oftentimes, what do we do? We take an aspirin for our headaches… That's dealing with the symptom, but we don't get to the root of it. Maybe it's sleep deprivation or stress or not eating appropriately, any number of things. And so nothing cures the source of stress and anxiety like learning the heart and art of prayer. So how many just this morning, show of hands, how many would like to have less stress and anxiety in your life? Show of hands, show of hands. Okay, yeah, I think most of us. You've got two hands over here, yeah, yeah. How many raised your hand for the people that you're sitting next to? Because they need all the help they can get, huh? Sometimes we feel that they need it more than we, but we probably need it just as much as they do. And so, hey, take a look at your sermon notes, part of the intro, we can pray because God is our loving Father. That in itself is pretty amazing. When the Bible says when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, that's what he said. Hey, we relate to him as our Father. Christ is our mediator giving us access to the throne of the universe. That's astounding. And then the Spirit himself indwells us. That's another thing that's very astounding for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ. All prayer is Trinitarian in nature, Ephesians 2.18. And so we pray to the Father in the name of the Son, through the Holy Spirit. Let's do that now before we uh, take a look at this text and unpack these notes, let's pray. Father God, because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And since we have peace with you, we can have the peace that comes from, from you, guarding our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus in spite of the people, things, and circumstances of our life. Teach us through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, the heart and art of prayer so that we can experience more and more of the wealth of your presence, the comfort of your love, the strength of your power, and and the wonder, the amazing wonder of being called your children for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. Now, Anytime you read a text, you always need to read it in its context. In the context, if you have your Bibles open or if you have your electronic device open, you go back to chapter 10. Chapter 10 ends with the story of Mary and Martha. Remember Mary sitting at Jesus' feet? Martha's running every which way but loose in the home, serving. You guys remember that story? Show of hands. Okay, so that's the story uh, that now he heads into this understanding of prayer. And you'll see in verse 40, chapter 10, it's not up on the screen, but you'll have to look on your Bibles. And Mary, uh, Martha was distracted with much serving. And these are very, very tender words of Jesus. She actually gets upset at Jesus and says, Jesus, tell my sister Mary to help me. So she's frustrated with both Jesus and, and Mary. We'll talk about that in a minute because a lot of our frustration because of stress, we think it's kind of horizontally and even vertically. And really, it's us not managing our lives appropriately. And, and very tender words. Most of the very tender words found in Scripture are directed towards those that are stressed out anxious hurting and Jesus says Martha Martha anything anytime you see the coupling of words it's meant for emphasis and its deep affection and he's saying Martha Martha settle down relax chill out and so these would be words for us this morning if you're really stressed out whatever your name is he would say he would say your name twice ray ray listen to me very tender words, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And then the story ends, and you gotta kind of wonder what what is the one thing, and uh, and the one thing is chapter eleven. This is how Luke laid it out. It's prayer. It's understanding the the art and heart, the heart and art of prayer, and um, and it's interesting but one thing is necessary. He uses this word anxious. The word anxious means torn to pieces inside. Doesn't that describe stress? You're kind of torn to pieces inside. You're pulled every which way. It's like, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. You're kind of spinning the plates. You're trying to keep all the plates spinning and all the balls in the air and, and all the things going on. And That's the idea. So here's, here's what you need to keep in mind as it relates to uh, anxiety and dealing with stress in your life, is that first of all, The root of most of our issues has to do with our spiritual alienation, spiritual conflict going on. We might not be living in the reality of the fact that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And to the degree I understand that, to the degree that I'm going to experience the peace of God guarding my hearts and minds. If I don't have peace of God, I don't understand the fact that I have peace with God. So that conflict here creates conflict in here, so spiritual alienation creates psychological alienation, which inevitably brings social. That's the reason why she's ticked off at Mary. She thinks her problem is Mary and her problem is Jesus, tell Mary… But the problem is really inside of Martha and between her and Jesus and, and really understanding this one thing. Let me read through this, so here's the answer. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, and this is an abbreviated uh, Lord's Prayer compared to the one found in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. We'll look at that at the end of this series in a couple weeks and kind of walk through each of these phrases. He says, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. So he's saying, hey, friendship is really important here, but that's not why he gets up. He's going to explain, yet because of his impudence. What? What is that? If you're reading ESV, you go down, it's got a little little number there, and you go down to the bottom, it says persistence, but it's much more than persistence. We'll talk about that in a minute. But because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Literally in the Greek, which the New Testament was written in, Koine Greek, everyday Greek language, it means ask and keep on asking. And the next, Then he says, seek, seek and you will you will find, seek and keep on seeking, knock, keep on knocking, so it's not just once; it's just like, it's this relentless, persistent, and knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and, and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be open. Oh, I love these next words. These are really tender words. These are great words. This is really important you understand these words what father among you if his son asks for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion if you then who are evil so he's saying we're we're sinful by nature the bible makes that very clear we're sinners by nature and by choice when you hear me use the word depraved he's just validating we're depraved at the core of our being we're born into this world as sinners. Just turn on the news. Just have a, a little child, and that will validate that for you. A little one- or two-year-old, they want their way. They, they grow up being self-centered. And if we don't learn to deal with that, they become teenagers that are self-centered and adults that are self-centered. That's just part of our nature. And he says, uh, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... How much more? How many parents out there like to give good gifts to their children? And yeah, we all do. He's saying, how much more? More. Exponentially. Will the Father, Heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the Word of the Lord to us this morning. Now, you're going to see here, the outline is, uh, is laid out Two different ways, the heart of prayer, verses 5 through 13, and then the art of prayer is verses 1 through 4. Let's first of all talk about the heart of prayer. Here's your first uh, couple fill in the blanks. Successful prayer is less about art and more about heart. Art is what and how we pray. We, be, we become so preoccupied with, okay, how should I pray, and what should I say, and it's more about our heart, who we are in coming to God. The disciples looked at Jesus and obviously saw how he connected with the Father. I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but you listen to different people pray. This happens to me with our board of elders. When I hear different, different elders pray, it just moves me and stirs me, and I, it's almost like, man, I want to I know how to connect with God because I feel like Jesus is right here in the room with us, and they pray in such a wonderful way. Certainly Jesus did that, and the disciples say, hey, teach us how to pray. We want to learn how to pray. So we've got verses 2 through 4, the art of prayer, Verses 5 through 13, the heart of prayer. Number two, the heart of prayer is seeing yourself as desperate in this world, however prosperous you may be. So the heart of prayer, once you fill in the blank, look up here because you've got to understand this. One of the reasons why you don't pray very much is because you don't think you're very desperate, why we're not very consistent with prayer. And what he's showing in this is that it really comes down to being desperate. Notice in our text, verse 5, at midnight, that sounds pretty desperate getting a hold of somebody at midnight, lend me three loaves, loaves, bread, essential for life. Verse 6, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. So this guy's pretty desperate. I don't know what to give him. And I've felt like that from time to time. If I don't spend time with God regularly, I have nothing to give to you. I have no- nothing to give to my family. I have nothing to give to my, my wife. I can only give to, give to you what I have first received from God. So he's really making a good point here of how important it is that we keep ourselves emotionally healthy and wealthy in our connection with God and receiving from Him so that we can give out to others. You can't give what you don't have. That goes for us as parents. If you want your kids to be stunned by the beauty and the glory of Christ, you need to be stunned by the beauty and the glory of Christ. You need to be experiencing that in your own life. And then in verse 7... Uh, the guy responds he says it'll disturb everybody in the house I don't want to wake anybody up and then in verse 8 we got that word impudence which which literally the word means shameless persistent audacity and the idea here <laughs> you, you guys know what this is is because if you've ever taken a a 2-year-old to the grocery store and they get their eye fixed on a on a toy or candy and you can't get out of the store without them saying a hundred times, Dad, 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 Mom, 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 I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. That's the idea of that. That's what he's talking about there. It's this shameless, persistent audacity. It's this pursuing of God. God, I'm not going to let go until I, I receive from you. I'm desperate for you. I need you. You're crying out. So there's that, that persistence. That's why we've got this verses 9 and 10, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. Now, there are two groups of people in here, out there. I mean, I could categorize everybody in these two groups. Those that are desperate and know it, and therefore they're on their knees praying. They're seeking God. They're, that's the way of life for them. They seek God regularly. So there are those that are desperate and know it, and then those that are desperate and don't know it. Oh. We're all desperate. It's just in our pride we don't think that we need God. And it's interesting because suffering has a way of blowing our cover and reminding us of something that has always been true. We are desperate for God. And uh, suffering helps us to discover what we've really been trusting in. Kind of knocks those props out from under us and it makes us more desperate for God. And that's a good place to be because you know what? You always were desperate for God. Now you're finally coming to terms with reality. You need Him. You're desperate for Him. If you think, man, I can live without God. Well, you obviously haven't thought your life out to its furthest implication. Like, take it a few years. When you lose a loved one, you lose your job, any number of tragedies hit. Oh, and by the way, when you face death, what what are you going to do? When you face death, where are you going to go for all eternity? So when you start thinking out the implications of your life, quit living for right now, but start living for beyond today into eternity, it makes a difference. You begin to realize, oh, my goodness, look at the condition of this world. We are desperate for God. That should stir up that. Number three on your notes, no matter how great your earthly circumstances become, they can never bring you the lasting peace, happiness, and consolation that are found in Christ. So no matter how great your earthly circumstances become, they can never bring you the lasting peace, happiness, and consolation that are found in Christ. Once you fill in the blank, look up here, because you need to know this. Even on your best day, you know that's true. Even on your best day, you know that's true. Only He can satisfy the deepest longing in your soul. There's nothing on this planet Earth that can satisfy the deepest longing in your soul. You were created for God. You were created for Him and Him alone and to find your deepest satisfaction in Him. And uh, I love what it says here in verses 11 through 13. These are great words. Do you get a little bit of the Hebrew humor that Jesus is using here? What father among you, if his son asks for fish, will instead uh, of a fish give him a serpent? Hey, we're cooking fish on the grill. And then you come in and you take the cover off the pan. And it's a rattlesnake. (sighs) He's saying, no father would do that. Or he goes, or if he asks for eggs, hey, I'm scrambling up you some eggs here. I mean, can you imagine me doing this to my, my grandkids? They're sitting at the table waiting for scrambled eggs with cheese on it. Ooh, that's what they love. And so I'm scrambling them up and then I... I, had to, I have a whole bunch of scorpions up underneath this and I take it out on the table and I go, oh! and they crawl over and they bite all the kids. <laughs> That's sick. Yeah, it is. Have you ever been bitten by a scorpion? Anybody? Show of hands. That hurts like crazy. Remember when I got bit? You guys over when we were in the, uh, wherever we used to meet? Where was that? Yeah, Sanadale O'Connor. Thanks for reminding me of that. And uh, I got bit the night before, had to get up and taught and I was numb, I got bit on my thumb and I was numb all the way, my upper body, all into my head, I was totally numb. Nancy had to come up and help me and of course she agreed that, uh, she said actually that what's, what's new, he's numb from up from here on up anyway most of the time and uh, that wasn't very nice at all for her to say that but, but it hurt. It was painful, it was difficult. And what he's saying is that no, no parent in their right mind would give something bad to their kids that would want to hurt their kids. That's the idea here. And um, what's fascinating about what he's using here is he's kind of helping us. Jesus is saying something absolutely wonderful and powerful. If earthly parents who are sinful ordinarily want to make their children happy, how much more... I mean, if you just thought about that, how much more, I have this love for my kids, I have this love for my grandkids, how much more committed is our perfect heavenly Father to our well-being and happiness? You know what that means? I mean, don't miss this, this is really important, that there's no parent on earth that desires to answer their child's request and give them joy as much as your Father in heaven wants for you and I. That's the point that he's trying to get across. Do you have any idea how much he loves you and adores you? That in itself is transforming. That in itself should relieve some stress and tension in our life. My life is in your hands, God. I trust in you and that will create within you this seeking Jeremiah 29:13 Hebrews 11:6 seeking is truly a sign of our desperation and our our need for God and then number 4 we can't see it because our hearts loves are disordered God's love favor and presence is not existentially as important to us as our prosperity success status love and pleasure existentially means experientially so we can't see this, we can't see our desperation, we can't see that our, that, that our deepest longing of our heart is found in Christ because we have disordered loves. We're convinced that something out there that's going to satisfy our deepest longing and need. It's something in creation as opposed to the Creator. It's because our loves are disordered. Things we ought to love, third and fourth, are first in our hearts, such as if, if you look to financial prosperity as, as the main source of either security or significance in life, and then... Back in 2007, when there was a lot of us that experienced some kind of devastation with our finances, we realized at that time money was more than just money to us. It was our security. It was our significance. And what we do is we find ourselves crying out to God for help, but our prayer will be little more than seeking God as a means to an end. Worry in God's direction because we have this disordered love. Now, how do we identify our disordered loves in our life? How would you identify your disordered loves? Because we all have them we all struggle with this. This is kind of the root of our our issues. Disordered love, this is how I find my disordered love, is that what, what thrills me, what excites me, what moves me the most? When it's anything in creation more than the Creator, it's convicting for me. Not that there's anything wrong with eating a piece of coconut cream pie, but if I'm more excited about the coconut cream pie than I am Jesus, something's wrong with that. Would you agree with that? And, there, and there's nothing wrong with eating it when I do it to, for God's glory, when I let it roll on up and it becomes an opportunity um, for thanksgiving and adoration to God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, 1031, 1 Corinthians. Nothing wrong with that. But so I look at these inordinate, this inordinate excitement in my life and I think to myself, and it's very convicting, I say, if I'm that excited for that coconut cream pie or whatever, you can put whatever in there, then how much more, how much more should I be excited in him if I really understood what I have in him and who he is in my life? I'm I'm obviously the shades are down a little bit in my life and I'm not seeing as clearly as I should. Another way that I de- identify it is my inordinate emotions, my response to those, those loves of my life. And it kind of pushes me and and pegs out the emotional meter in my life. You guys know what I'm saying? So anxiety, and we're setting aside, obviously, the physiological issues that can contribute to that. You know, sometimes we need to take medication. Sometimes there's other issues in our life. We need some really good counseling. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. We need to do that. But as we start working towards the root, oftentimes anxiety is symptomatic of a collapsing counterfeit God. Anger is symptomatic, inordinate anger, where I'm talking, inordinate anger is symptomatic of a counterfeit God, of of really a blocked counterfeit God. Depression can often be uh, symptomatic of a lost counterfeit God or pseudo savior that I'm trying to find my sense of identity in, and it's gone. Life is over. And that's why you're so desperate. It's because you have misplaced your trust, your hope, your love, the deepest longing of your heart. Those are disordered, disordered loves. Love anything more than God, and you will crush that object under the weight of your expectations. So if you love your marriage, I did that with my marriage. I loved my marriage more than God, and I crushed my wife my wife under the weight of my expectations in that marriage, or you can do that with your job. You can do that with your health. And that's why I put on your notes, uh, Matthew 22, 37 through 38, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't love the things of the world, it says. Love God, because the things of this world are passing, but the things of God are eternal, First John 2, 15 through 17. Number five, if we have made God our greatest love, And if knowing and pleasing Him is our highest pleasure, it transforms both what and how we pray for a happy life. So God will no longer be a means to an end. He will be the end. And uh, now we get kind of down to the nitty-gritty. Proverbs 37 through 10 gives us a great prayer of what that might look like, what we would pray for. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches... Notice what he's asking for. I don't want poverty. I want to be poor. I don't want to be rich. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, "Who is the Lord?" Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I don't want to be poor because I don't want to go to. I don't want to steal. I don't want to want that to move me. But I don't want to be too rich where I, where I forget you. That's what he's saying there. Imagine an eight year old playing with a toy truck that breaks. He is unhappy cries out to his parents to fix it yet as he's crying his father says to him a distant relative you've never met has just died and left you 1 million dollars what will the child's reaction be <laughs> what any child's reaction would be uh he will cry he will just cry louder until his truck is fixed because he does not have enough cognitive capacity to realize his true condition and be consoled. I mean, later on in his life, he'll look back and go, wow, I, I, like, the, I like the million dollars. You know, I don't know why I was so foolish to think that that truck was gonna satisfy me. But, but in the same way, as Christians, we lack the spiritual capacity to realize that all we have, the capacity to realize all we have in Jesus. We don't understand what we have in Jesus. And if we understood what we have in Jesus, and we wouldn't be so stressed, worried, anxious, driven, angry, bitter, despondent, depressed, or discouraged. We wouldn't, we wouldn't. We don't understand what we have in him. We're we're like the the little boy with the broken truck. We've got a million dollars in the bank account, in our spiritual bank account, and we're frustrated over the broken truck. And yes, we deal with the broken truck, but we need to get the bigger picture. We need to have the bigger picture. And um, it was interesting, the text from this last weekend, uh, Philippians 3, 7 through 11, and I know I, it, it's still a little bit stunning when Paul goes through in the third chapter of Philippians and lists all of his accolades and his accomplishments and, uh, and uh, achievements, which are phenomenal, measured, you know, by the world's standards. And then he has the, the audacity to say, all of that is junk, it's garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. And, and the word that he uses is actually an expletive. It's a, it's a curse word, and I would tell you it, but I don't use that kind of language. You'd have to talk to my wife. When she gets stressed out, she uses language like that all the time. I'm kidding. I've never heard her use ever any a foul word. She called me a jerk one time, okay? And I thought, is that the best you can do? And yet he's using this language. He's saying, and actually the message uses the idea of uh, dog dung. Now, he's not saying your family and your job and, and your kids are dog dung. He's not saying that. He's saying compared to Christ. There's a difference. Those are good things. But if you had any idea what you had in Jesus, if you had any idea. It was interesting when I was watching the the NCAA Final Four Championship, Duke beat Wisconsin. I don't know where you fell on that, I didn't really care. But uh, it was just kind of interesting watching the game, and it was interesting that the, the winners cried and the losers cried, and I'm thinking, okay, get over it, uh, it's not that big of a, you know, it's not that big of a deal. In light of eternity, it's all dog dung compared to what Christ is all about. And I realize that, you know, certainly those things... doesn't mean you, you go around, you know, emotionless, and yeah, there's certainly things that you should be grieved over and you should struggle over, but you shouldn't be inconsolable, and you shouldn't stay there. You should be able to move beyond that because of the bigger picture that you're, you're living in. It's why in the Lord's Prayer we don't get to petition and daily needs until we have spent time remembering the greatness and goodness of God. We need to change of perspective. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Now, the art of prayer. Let's knock this out. So we've got to look at the art of prayer. This is where we get into the nitty-gritty of what we pray for because we have this uh, change of what's most important to us. Once you have reordered your loves, you are ready for the specifics of what and how to pray. And, of course, you've got the Lord's Prayer. It's a great model. Our Father is adoration. Hallowed be your name. Thanksgiving and worship. Your kingdom come, your will be done, intercession, give us today our daily bread, petition, forgive us of our sins, confession, and then uh, lead us not to temptation is warfare. Verses uh, 2 through 4. What's fascinating about this in, in verse 13, he says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Why did he say that? He goes through all of this and he says, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? So he's telling us this is the much more that he's giving us. He's giving us this is the much more. This is what we need more than anything, more than having our truck, little broken truck fixed. He's saying we need the Holy Spirit. We often pray for better career and more money and better life, better love life, stronger family, better health. But what we need more than anything is the kind of love, the kind of joy, the kind of peace, the kind of of wisdom, the kind of character that can handle anything and make the temporal things, career, money, and love life even better. That's what he's saying. And, And you can have that through the Holy Spirit. Do you have any idea what you have? Because if the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead will make alive your mortal body so He's wanting us to really understand the implications of that, live that out. Number two, should we pray for change of circumstances or just for strength to endure them? Yes, both. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus gives us a really great example of this in Gethsemane, is a balance between honest desire. Ask boldly, He says, let this cup pass from Me. And then humble submission, surrender completely. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. I looked through Scripture to see, do I see this represented in Scripture? Yeah, absolutely. Daniel, remember the three guys, three Hebrew dudes? These guys, they were about ready to be thrown in the furnace. Why is that? Because they were not going to bow down to the, the idol, the gold image of Nebuchadnezzar. And were they really stressed out about that? Oh, maybe a little bit initially, but they were consoled by the fact that they knew that God was in control. And this is how they responded. They said, hey, listen, we're not concerned about what you say even if you do throw us in the, in the fiery furnace because God can save us. God will save us. Oh, and even if he doesn't, our lives are in his hands. <laughs> so there's this kind of we're going to ask boldly, but we're going to surrender completely to what God has for us. Here's another example of that is in the, in the the faith chapter in the Bible. Where's the faith chapter? Someone yell it out to me. Hebrews 11, you guys thinking, thinking Hebrews 11, faith chapter? Yeah, it's a great chapter on faith, helps us to understand faith. Listen to what it says. If you don't read completely through the chapter, you miss the second half of it. The second half is really powerful. First half kind of talks about by faith, some conquered kingdoms, some stopped the mouths of lions, some escaped the edge of the sword, some became mighty in war, uh, some put foreign armies to flight, and then it shifts to verse 36, and it says, By faith, others suffered mocking, flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. That's first century being stoned, not second. That's uh, 21st century stoning, okay? Colorado, medicinal being stoned. Uh, they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. I want the first part of Hebrews 11. Thank you very much. I don't know if I like the second part, but that was by faith too. Here's the point, and this is what you got to get. So, you're struggling in your life? I'm going to pray that God will, will deliver you from that. If you're, if you're struggling with cancer, I'm going to pray until God either heals you or He takes you home and heals you. I'm going to ask boldly, but I'm going to surrender completely. You hear what I'm saying? And I'm going to beg him, and I'm going to come before the throne of grace consistently, and I'm going to pour my heart out to him because we are all desperate for him. And because I'm going to do that because I know sometimes God calms the storm, and sometimes he calms his child in the storm. Either way, you can trust, you can trust the fact that he knows, he cares, and he rules, and that's enough. That's what it's saying here. I surrender to you, God. I'm going to seek you with all my heart, and you're going to to calm the storm, or you're going to calm me in the storm. Either way, I'm committed to you. You guys tracking with me? Man, that's faith. So, if I'm going to be taken out by the sword, I'm going to do it praising you, and I'm going to give glory to you, and I'm going to show my friends how to die for your glory. But if I'm going to, you know, win through the sword, praise God. I'm going to do it victoriously and give honor and glory to you. Number five on your notes, or number three on your notes under the art of prayer. Make prayer a habit through regular discipline of a specific time and place. It is a good thing to let prayer be the first business of the morning and the last at night and a lot in between. And a whole lot in between. You see this with Jesus. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed Mark 1:35, Luke 4:42. Do you do that? Do you often withdraw to lonely places and pray now? Now, those of you that have a house full of kids, you're going to have to uh, um, you're, you're going to have to wait until they're grown and gone, I guess. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, you need to it's hard. Believe me, I know. But it's, uh, you're going to have to give each, give each other a break. Okay, honey, it's time for you to take a break. But don't go as long as you went last time, like two months. You know. But just you give each other a break. I'll watch the kids for a while. You go and, and get, along, get along with God and do that. And I think that's important to be able to do that. And what you're wanting to do, you're wanting to create this 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. And it's interesting when you study through Scripture, we are commanded to pray as we are commanded to not kill and still. So the commandment to to pray is important. My wife was sharing me this quote from Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, dead theologian, late 1800s. He said, the shop, the barn, the scully, the scullery, and the smithy, these are all places of work, become temples when men and women do all to the glory of God. Then divine, he quotes this in quotes, divine service is not a thing of a few hours in a few places, but all life becomes holiness to the Lord. Every place and thing as consecrated as the tabernacle and its golden candlestick. Another uh, great one that I haven't quoted from for a while, it's Practicing the Presence of God, uh, Brother Lawrence. It's a little small book that I enjoy reading because it kind of gets me in that 17th century monk who found incredible delight in the discipline of practicing the presence of God in, in the most menial, mundane, and even menacing task. Uh, we should praise this is what he says, we should practice God's presence through a continuing conversation with him, that it would be shameful to trade such a relationship for trivial foolishness, and that we should feed our souls on the highest thoughts of God. We can find deep joy, he said, by simply being with the Lord. The greatest pains and joys the world has to offer can't compare to the experience of walking with God. So the reason why you oftentimes withdraw to lonely places and pray, so that you can regularly practice His presence in everyday life. Number four, pray regardless of your feelings, but do everything you can to focus your thoughts in order to warm and engage your affections for God. So you're trying to focus your thoughts to warm and engage your affections for God because prayer is lifting of the heart to God. Lamentations 3.41. Matthew 15, 8-9, you don't want to be guilty of that. Worshiping God with your lips but your heart be far from Him. You know, it's not something you check off the list. You want to encounter God. You want to have an encounter with the living God. And uh, you're desperate to, to hear from Him as you're reading His Word that He speaks to you, that all and in intimacy with God. And so you want to taste and see that the Lord is good. And you do that, the foundation of faith is thinking. So you're beginning to think and you reflect on the Scripture. Let me give you a word picture. See if you can track with this. I'll try to uh, do it very slowly. And uh, I, I did this with my wife uh, the other night, and she goes, after I got finished with the word picture, I go, she goes, huh, what was that? So I walked it through her kind of slowly. And, uh, and so I'll do this for you also. Three men walking in a line, single file line, along the top of a narrow city wall. Three men, single file line. Top city wall, very narrow. The first in the line is named fact. The second behind him is faith, and the third is feeling. Because the wall is narrow, they need to pay close attention to where they step. As long as feeling's eyes are on faith and faith's eyes are on fact, they will do fine. But the moment that faith takes his eyes off of fact, both faith and feeling fall off the wall. You guys track with me? What's going to stir your feeling? Faith focused on fact, the fact of God's word, logic on fire. God takes his word, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, he makes it alive to your heart. But you focus on his word. And I'll take verses and I'll begin to meditate on them and they'll begin to, God through His Holy Spirit will light them on fire within my heart and that brings the assurance and that assurance brings the kind of feelings that I want. But my feelings don't lead me there, it's my faith focused on the fact of God's Word. Now, I put three stages where we all are and you're either satisfied, and I gave the verse there for you, or you're longing to be satisfied or you're going to repent, so you're, sat, you're in the moment of just enjoying God or you're longing to be in that moment. You know, my, as the deer pants for the streams of water, how my soul pants for you, oh God. I, I don't have that sense of your presence in my life right now. Or you recognize that I don't have the satisfaction nor I even have the longing and so that's where repentance comes in. I just say, God, help me. There's other things in this world that are more exciting to me right now than you, and I realize that's wrong. If I had, if I knew you, I wouldn't be that way. Help me to see that. And that's where you cry out to God, and you begin to be more and more in touch with your desperation. Here's where we end. Almost finished. Build on your study of the Scripture through meditation, answering the word in prayer to the Lord, and be aware of the Holy Spirit's leadings. So meditation is something where you're just murmuring Scripture. You're meditating, you're reflecting, you're thinking. I gave you some guidelines for that. Anytime you meditate, you always want to ask the question on a particular Scripture, what did the original author intend? How does it fit into the whole of Bible? How does it affect my relationship with God, myself, and others? And then I gave you that acronym, ACTS. How can I, what can I adore God for? What do I need to confess? What can I thank Him for? What do I need to pray for? You can kind of see how that works out and then you can pray through the the Lord's Prayer. You wanna keep a lookout for the Holy Spirit. If as you are meditating or praying, an abundance of good thoughts comes to you, you you ought to disregard your your petitions for a moment, make room for such thoughts, listen in silence, don't in any way obstruct them. The Holy Spirit himself is speaking to you, and one word uh, from him is better than a thousand of our prayers as you encounter God. Let's prepare our hearts for communion this morning. It's a very sacred time for us as believers. If you're not a believer, you can become one today and feel free to take communion with us. What you need to do is acknowledge your sin that separates you from God. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of your sins and then confess him as your Lord and Savior. Give your life to him and feel free to take communion with us. Let's pray. Father God, we, we are in awe that there has never been a parent on earth who wants to answer request and give joy to their children as much as you want for us, your children. Yet we know that you are not only loving but also holy and just. How can you shower blessings down on sinful people like us who deserve the opposite? And the answer is that Jesus got the scorpion and the snake so that we could feast on the abundance of the Father's table and drink from his river of delights. As we take these elements representing your broken body and shed blood, we, we are reminded that Jesus received the sting and venom of death on the cross in our place so that we might have life, life to its fullest. Make the truth of your love so real to our hearts that it chases chases all the stress, anxiety, and fear away as we rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.